Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. so much for your giving. Uh, Good morning to you again. Today we are kicking off a brand new series entitled A Healthy House. A Healthy House. Now let me just ask before we get too far into this, how many of you want your house, your home blessed and healthy? Let me just see your hands. All right. Um, Those of you that are not raising your hands, we just assume you want your house cursed. I get it. No, you don't want that, right? We want our house blessed. We want our house healthy. And so we're going to kick off this series because the truth is, is that we want your life, your family, um, your home, we want it to be blessed and healthy. Um, And if we are being honest as we look at families in our culture today, in general, the first word that comes to mind when we think of, of family or houses or homes Uh, The first word that comes to mind is not typically blessed or healthy, um, but we we look at families and a lot of the language surrounding them uh, in today's culture, unfortunately, is words like um, struggle, dysfunctional, man, it's really hard raising kids, right? Like there's a lot of things that we attribute to homes and to families and to marriages, but it's, it's usually not words like health and words like blessed. Um, not to mention that temptation that is faced today is much greater than it was in the past. I am now 45 years old, so I'm not the young buck preacher any longer. I am 45, I'm middle-aged, like I get it. I'm coming to grips with that. But how many of you understand that temptation today is much greater than it was 30 years ago? There is so much more to be tempted by. And so when we look at the culture and we look look at families, um, a lot of people, they have blended families, which can be a blessing, but Then you're raising your kids and her kids and our kids and you got the exes involved. And how many know it can be complicated? Doesn't mean that it can't be blessed, but it can be complicated. We see a number of single parents today, which is difficult trying to support a family on one income, not not even uh, counting uh, raising the children under that one income. And I want to be extremely transparent, not only today, but in the series, Uh, and I'm sure I'm going to get an amen right here. I'm not perfect, and my family is not perfect. All right, I got an amen. At nine, they was afraid. Nobody said amen. I got some people that will amen that. We we knew that already, Pastor. Um, But we're not perfect um, at all. Uh, As a matter of fact, when my kids misbehave, I don't break out into a sermon or a worship song. Sometimes I get mad. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes I have to correct them. Sometimes I got to correct myself. Um, But I am striving to know God better. I am striving for my home to be healthy. With all that being said, I want to call this first message No Hiding, All Seeking. No Hiding, All Seeking. And you may ask, what's up with the title? Here's what's up with the title. I want it to be clear about my house 
that we are seeking Jesus. That we are not hiding the fact that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're not hiding that truth. We want everybody to know that in the Dingus house, we serve God, we seek God. He's number one. We're not embarrassed. We're not ashamed of this. We're going after Jesus. No hiding, all seeking. I want it to be said about Bethesda Church that we're not going to bow to culture. We may offend some people, but we are going as a church after Jesus. I want it to be said about your house that you and in your house are going after Jesus. How many of you are ready to go after Jesus with everything you have? Come on, I need you to put some praise on it. Come on, put, put a clap on it, put some praise on it. We're going after Jesus because we want a healthy house. We are a no-hide, all-seek family, a no-hide, all-seek church. Um, and I want to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, one verse, one verse today. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the promise is you will be filled, yet so many homes today are not filled with what matters most, but are searching and striving for anything that can bring meaning into their, their lives. And why, why does that happen? How do people end up there? Because we are filling our lives with things that do not matter. And in many instances, houses are not healthy, but they are actually dysfunctional. So my question for you this morning is, and I, I want you to be extremely honest about this, like really honest, in your home, in your home, what do you hunger for? What is it? that you hunger for in your home? What is your family, what is your house pursuing? Online today, in the dorm room, in, in your marriage, in raising your children, with your friend group, what are you pursuing? What is important to you? What matters most to you? Now, some of us can a answer that question with integrity, and we can say, we're, we're, we're seeking God. We're searching for God. We're, we're pursuing Him. And you can say that with absolute integrity. But I think for a lot of us, we would have to answer that. And if we gave an answer that was positive, it would kind of be like a Sunday school answer. Yeah, we're here to please the Lord. Knowing deep down that that's not what we're really about. That God is not really the priority. The business is the priority. The sports is the priority. This over here is the priority. That seeking God and pursuing God is not really the, the, the priority in our house. And, and to help us understand this, in the last seven days, what were you characterized as pursuing? If you were just to look at the last seven days, what is it that you have been hungering for? Some of us would say things like this, we, we were just trying to chill out, you know, we were trying to re relax, or we were working hard all week so that we could do what we wanted to do on the weekend. We want to have fun, we want to chill out, we want to unwind, nothing wrong with any of those things, but we need to call it what it is. Some of you would have to admit today that you're hungering for popularity. You want to be liked. And so you're all about the image. 
Look at us. Look at our family from the outside. Look at the way we dress. Look at our home. Look at our yard. Look at our cars, what we drive. Look at the way we walk into the church. Don't we look like the perfect Christian family? But you don't tell anybody you were cursing at each other on your way here. You look the part, but you as dysfunctional as all get out. Fighting all the way here, fighting all the way home, screaming at each other. But we are the ideal Christian family. And, and so we put that image out there. Some of us, it's like, look at the size of my Bible. I mean, look at, look at the, the image. And that's what we're pursuing. Some of us, it's whatever the whim is. For some of you, the whim is more money, a bigger house. The whim could be that your elementary age student was student of the year. That's what you're about. Or they play sports. And you know, our child is the champion, underwater, synchronized, swimming, polo player in the four and under league. And that's what we are about. We're going to be the best at that. Whatever it is. What are you hungering and thirsting for? And if you're like most people in our culture... If you're really honest, you would say over the last seven days that maybe you were not pursuing Jesus as much as you were pursuing all these other things. I want us to have healthy homes. I want us to have a no-hide, all-seek house. But what do we do when we recognize that what we are hungering for are the wrong things? It's not the right things that we're hungering for. What do we do when we recognize that our appetite is not for Jesus, but for something else? I would suggest to you today that we need to change our appetite. Um, this, this happened to me about six years ago. Uh, I actually need to get back on that train. Um, but about six years ago, when I recognized I'd gained like 50 pounds, um, I was like, I got to change my appetite. I got to change what I eat. And so I love pizza. Anybody love pizza? Come on, wait at me if you love pizza. Like, when I say I love, y'all don't get this. Y'all really don't understand. I love pizza. Like, expensive pizza, cheap pizza, DiGiorno's pizza. I mean, I, little seat, hot and ready. Um, but like, I just love pizza. I, I don't even care where it came from. I don't care who made it. I don't care if I cooked it myself. I just love pizza. But I recognize if I'm going to lose a few pounds, I got to stop with the pizza. And so I stopped eating pizza, and I started eating chicken. And this went on for about six months. And you, you guys, when, when you're trying to eat clean, you ever have a cheat day? You know, for me, it's never a cheat day. It's a cheat weekend, right? Like it's the whole weekend, just everything I can eat. I'm going, but, but I noticed something that when I had the cheat day or the cheat weekend, um, the pizza even though I love it, it didn't taste to me, after about six months of eating clean, it didn't taste the same. It wasn't that it was bad, it just wasn't as good as I had remembered. And not only was it not as good as I had remembered, um, after eating a weekend of junk, I recognized I have no energy, I'm lethargic, I'm not sleeping good, I'm moody, all because I went back and started eating something that was not satisfying me or fulfilling me. 
And, and the whole point of that is, is that if you could decide to start pursuing God with everything that you have, suddenly you're going to see the benefits of walking with God, being led by the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit, and the desires that you have for the world that pull you away from the things of God, your appetite will change and you'll say, I don't want that anymore. I want to pursue Jesus with my life. I want my house to pursue him. Your appetite can change spiritually for spiritual things. Suddenly you begin longing for more of him. And the junk food, I mean, come on, y'all. How much Netflix can you watch? You've watched every show, every documentary. You, you, you've watched all the stuff. You know more about that than you do where books of the Bible are. And you say you're following Jesus. Yet our life, if we were to track it, there's nothing in our life that suggests that we're following him. And then we complain when our homes are dysfunctional. We complain when things are no longer working. And it's all because we've put so many things ahead of our pursuit of Jesus. And so I, I want to help us with that today. But before I give you what does work, I have to tell you what doesn't work. All right? Here's what doesn't work. Number one, legalistic Christianity. It does not work. What, and some of you are new to church. You were not raised in church. And so you're like, what does he mean when he says legalistic Christianity? That's when we reduce Christianity in our homes to a bunch of do's and don'ts, cans and can'ts, should and shouldn't, ought and ought not. It, it's do this, but don't do that. It is, it is a list of rules. And if you're a good Christian, you always get it right. For the glory of God, that's what makes us a good Christian, by obeying all the rules. The problem is, and you may want to write this one down, rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. Um, a, a great way for me to explain this to you would be... Um, I, my, my dad became a pastor when I was in my teenage years. Uh, and even when he was a pastor, I, I acted out, did things I shouldn't do. But how many of you have ever noticed that sometimes um, the wild ones in church are the pastor's kids? Come on, smile at me. It's like, oh, that's a preacher's kid. That's like a thing. Y'all know, it's like a thing. Yeah, it's a preacher's kid. People just roll, yep. We kind of expect it. Now, that's not our story, thank God, and, and I debated on whether or not I should even, even talk about this, but the reason that happens sometimes to preachers' kids is because of the rules. Let's perform. Let's keep the image up. Let's, let's hold up the image of the church. And what happens in many of those cases is that it's rules without relationship, and that leads to rebellion. Legalistic Christianity never works. And that's why I said at 9 o'clock, and I'm going to say it again because I don't get an opportunity to do this very often, but I want to honor my two sons today, Elijah and Ezekiel. I want to honor both of them, not just as my kids, and, and, uh, but also as young men who have gotten up on their own will 
every Sunday for the last three and a half years at 5.30 a.m. to come to church to serve you and your families, not because I ask them, not because I make them. They get up on their own. Eli's sitting by the door at 5 completely dressed. My alarm hasn't went off yet. They have done that on their own. And so I honor both of them because I haven't asked them to do that. They're following Jesus for themselves. They're not just living with a bunch of rules and no relationship. And I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. There's not a grade they can make in school or a three-point shot they could make in a ball game that would make me more proud than both of them following Jesus with all of their heart. Nothing could make me more proud. So legalistic Christianity does not work. Secondly, everybody say, "Uh uh-oh, lukewarm Christianity does not work. Lukewarm Christianity does not work. And that's when we believe in God, but we live like he doesn't exist. We believe in God, but we live like he doesn't exist. It's cultural Christianity. It's Christian in name only, but no real passion for the things that bring glory to God. Now, how do do we know if our family, if our home, we're talking about a healthy house, how do we know if our house is drifting towards lukewarmness? And I want to be the first to say, I'm not trying to judge you, your faith, your family, but here are some indicators. These are just indicators that your house, your home, is becoming lukewarm. If you can't remember the last time that you brought your family together and as a family you prayed to God and asked God to move in a situation, to do a miracle, or just all of you leaned into God's presence, you don't remember the last time that happened in your house, your house is drifting toward lukewarmness. It's real quiet. And the reason it's real quiet is because we, we get the family together for the latest movie. We just don't get the family together to pray. I'm going to make all kinds of friends today. We, we, we don't remember the last time we brought the family together to, to pursue God. Um, if you can't remember the last time you said to your spouse or your children, you know what, I was reading in the Bible today and this verse spoke to me. Or God showed me this. Or the Holy Spirit said, if there is none of that going on in your house, your house is drifting towards being lukewarm. Isn't it amazing that our culture has become so Christian in name only that when someone actually pursues Jesus and prays and in Walmart will pray for the sick and share their faith and bring their family, we call them radical. That's not called radical. That's called biblical. Tweet that. In the book of Acts, that's what they did. They got saved. They shared their faith. They prayed with people. They were not considered crazy people. Yet in our co- we can go to church every single week, and if we see somebody in our church who's opening up their home for, for, to pray for people, or they're, they're bold in their faith, or they're praying for people in public places, we come to church and say, man, they're a little wild. No, they are biblically normal. And so we have drifted 
And in many, in, in many ways, we have become lukewarm. Um, if I'm never saying to my family, God has blessed us so much, I want us to utilize what God has done for us, and I want us to help others experience what we have. Part of the reason we want you to serve at church is not just because we need a, a body. Part of it is you sharing it's not just serving like in the act of parking a car or opening a door or changing a, a, a baby's diaper, but part of people serving together, you can ask some of the teams, they're sharing life together. They're talking about what God did for them. And part of serving is simply sharing with other people what God has done for you. How many want what God has done for you for other people who do not know God to experience what God has done for you? And one of the best ways for that to happen is through serving. Legalism and lukewarm Christianity never work. And Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, watch this, you all know the verse. He said, I would rather you be hot or cold. Either on fire for me or not at all for me than lukewarm. He said, because if you're lukewarm... If you have a form of godliness, but you're denying my power, he said, I will spew you out of my mouth. In other words, you make God sick when you're lukewarm. Now, that doesn't make us run around the church. But it is possible for you to come to church every single Sunday, take notes of the sermon, sing the worship songs, but live a lukewarm life and end up in hell. That We don't want to hear that, but it is possible. Let's go home. <laughs> Listen, I want you to be on fire for Jesus. I want your home to be on fire for Jesus. I want your children to prophesy. I want to see, I want your kids to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We, we, we saw a few weeks ago back in B Kids, the kids laid hands on one another, and one of the kids back in B Kids got healed. No. Come on, so I need you to give God a better praise than that. We got kids operating in things we won't do. So lukewarm Christianity and legalistic Christianity won't work. Here's what does work, and I want to tie this together. We are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered family. It's a big difference. And the reason there's a big difference is because in our nation, it's culturally correct to say, I'm Christian. As a matter of fact, about 80% of people in our nation will say, I'm Christian. But it just doesn't mean anything. It, I, I believe in God, so I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. And so it's culturally correct. Everybody's Christian. How many of you understand in other parts of the world, if they say, I'm Christian, they die for that? Now, in our nation, there's no persecution for, for just saying, I'm Christian. Now, if you start obeying God, you'll get some persecution. You'll get all kinds of persecution if you start saying yes to God and obeying him. You'll get some, but just saying I'm Christian and I go to church, that won't get you any hate. It's when you, you are obedient that you'll get some hate. And so the problem we have in this nation is we got a lot of people who profess to be Christian, but they don't have Christ-centered homes. They don't have Christ-centered homes. Um, and I'll say it like this. You can call yourself a duck, and you may be able to quack. All right? But unless you can fly and lay an egg, you are not a duck. You're just a weird person who quacks. 
So just because you come to church and say, I'm a Christian, doesn't mean you're a Christian. Doesn't mean your house is a Christ-centered house. And I want to submit to you today that just calling yourself a Christian does not mean that you're a Christian. We, there's so much I could say here. We want to say a prayer and be right. But the more I read the scriptures, the more understanding I'm gaining that salvation is not even a prayer. Now, I do believe it does tell us you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. That's true. But all throughout the New Testament, salvation was not, Lord, be the Lord of my life. It was deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. That repentance was action. That your life turned and now you begin bearing fruit, not because you invited Jesus into your heart. That's just ways that we help people. The truth is that salvation is you stop doing what you used to and you follow Jesus. Somebody better clap right there. I need some help. They're not teaching this in a lot of churches. Even, even like this, think about this. We, we say, uh, Lord, be the Lord of my life. Well, that makes you Lord if you tell him that, like, what to do. You know what it really is? It's you and I acknowledging his lordship and repenting of our lifestyle to follow him. That's true biblical repentance. That's the gospel message. Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Scripture doesn't say blessed are those who believe in Christ when it's convenient for them. It says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we do not hunger and thirst for righteousness, we need to change our appetites. Anybody getting anything out of the word today? Or is this too much? I, I want you to grab this. I want you to grab this. Psalm 63 and 1 says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I love the language and the imagery that David gives us here. It's not just, uh, hey God, um, you know, I, I want you now because it's convenient. Or, God, I have a big need, so I want you. No, it's every moment of every day, every bit of me belongs to you. We're not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. What if we, as families, your house, could say like David did, that we serve you, we seek you, you are our God, that your entire house was about Jesus. How many think your house would change in a positive way if everybody in the house was going after Jesus? Wouldn't that marriage automatically fix itself? Wouldn't those kids automatically start getting in line if we all collectively said we're going to make Jesus the priority? Imagine all the stupid things we long for as families. There's so many things we long for that are stupid. Oh, popularity, you are my God. I long for you in a dry and weary land. Oh, champion of the eight and under soccer league, how I long for you. Come on. Oh, new car, I have longed for you. 
It's so stupid what we, what we go after, what we pursue. And, and how many of you have noticed that no matter how much we get, uh, whether it be popularity, whether it be finances, whether it be the, the home that we always wanted, all the things we go after that we think are so important that after you get them, you realize it does not satisfy it, it, like it, it does not bring peace, it does not bring fulfillment, it does not br- you know, bring clarity or purpose, it's just stuff, and we got to get back to hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Nothing wrong with having the stuff, but let's let the pursuit not be the stuff, let's let the pursuit be Jesus. Now, let's, let's get it on a practical level, I'm going to say it as simply as I can. I want you to help your family see God as loving, approachable, and involved. How many know God is lovable? Right? He is love. Your family needs to know the love of God. Your family needs to know the love of God. They also need to know that he's approachable. Jesus, the New Testament says that we are to approach the throne of grace with boldness. And, and so I, I want my kids to know how to approach God and that it's in order to approach God. I grew up feeling very unworthy of the Lord. That's not everybody's story. That was my story. I felt unworthy. And so because I felt so unworthy, I didn't feel like I was allowed to approach him. That's the way I viewed my relationship. But I want our home, I want our house to know God is approachable. But I also want him to know, thirdly, that he's involved in their lives. God is involved in your life to the, to the degree that you allow him to be. You, like you, you can have God involved in your marriage, or you can have God not involved. You can have him involved in raising your kids and in your money and at the job and in your mind and, and, and with whatever it is you're carrying, or you, you cannot have him involved. It's up to you. I said years ago, back in the old building, I said, you can have as much of God as you want. And as a matter of fact, right now, you have as much of God as you want. So three things I want to leave you with. Three ways to create hunger for God. I'm not going to stay long on this. Three ways to create hunger. Number one, involve God in your daily conversations. God should be normal in your house. Like at dinner, I know you talked about the movie and the Netflix series and the ball game and the practice schedule and the homework. But I want to know this morning, where is Jesus in your house? God wants to know, where am I in your conversations? Involve God in the conversations at your house. And it's not hard. You can create environments that make it conducive that your spouse will want to talk about Jesus. You can create environments that your kids actually, not because they have to, but because they want to, they will talk to you about Jesus. Parents, you have, you have them for about 18 years on average. And then they're going to go. They're going to pursue their, their, their spouse and, and their careers. But while you have them, you got to make it a priority that here we talk about Jesus. And it can be as simple as on the way to school that, that you say, what a beautiful sunrise we have today. Man, God really blessed us. 
How many know it's not hard to involve God in conversation? Start where you are, but involve God in the conversation. It don't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be complicated, but in, involve God in conversations in the marriage. It's great to sit down and do a budget and um, a vision board and, you know, use wisdom, set goals for your marriage. Like, that's cool, but sometimes you need to throw out the pro and con list that you and your spouse do and simply ask, God, what do you want us to do? It's amazing that when you get on the same page with your spouse and ask God, what do you want us? It's amazing how quick God will speak when you two are on the same page and you ask together, God, what do you want us to do? How many of you could use a little direction from the Holy Spirit right now in this season? I, I would ask him. Just ask him. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. For years, I've encouraged our boys, even when it's been rough, even when people have been acting up, that, that I'm conscious to say, look at how the Lord has blessed us. Aren't we blessed? Aren't, aren't we thankful to, to know Jesus? Aren't we thankful to lead a church that's making a difference? I try to bring God back into the conversation with him every opportunity I get. And I do that with Everly, too, but y'all pray for Everly. She's going to need a little more work than Elijah and Ezekiel needed Come on, y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I got, I got a lot more work there, um, but she's going to get there, right? Come on, she's going to get there. So, so make uh, some conversations about God a priority. Secondly, make church a non-negotiable. And I, I know I'm at the risk of sounding old school, but we have drifted so far in many instances from the Scripture it's amazing to me how creative people can get for their excuses to not coming to church or not being a part of church. Even though they're not doing the Bible, they can convince themselves they're doing the right thing. Um, if you're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness and be filled, you've got to make church a non-negotiable. If you're a Christ-centered home, Guess what you do? You make, the, you make the priority worshiping God. You make it, uh, Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That the corporate body coming together, uh, and not only is this biblical, it's biblical for you to be in a small group. We're disobeying God when we don't come to church and when we don't do life with other believers. Both acts are disobedience. We don't want to be told that. You know why? Because we've justified in our mind why it doesn't work for us or why we're allowed to skip out, why we're allowed not, you know, we don't have to be a part of that. And we, we can, I mean, people are crazy. They, they'll, they'll tell you all kinds of excuses of, of why they're not involved and why their family's not planted in the house of God. But you got to get to a place where God, as your creator and sustainer of life, the author of the entire universe, that you come with a group of people to worship him, to honor him, but also to hear the proclaimed word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And every time you come together with other believers and hear the word of God, your life is better for it. Your life is better for it. you got to make church a non-negotiable. Some of uh, you parents of teenagers, I want you to hear me. If you have a teenager, 
you got a couple years left. And I promise you, you're not going to say, I wish we have, had made it to more soccer practices. That's not, what, that's not going to be the regret. I wish I had played more baseball with them. Is there wrong, anything wrong with soccer? And, no, no, absolutely nothing wrong with it. But that will not be what you look back and say, I wish I had did more soccer practices or football practices or any of those things or did more of an investment in sports. But you're probably going to say, I wish I had made more of an investment into their spiritual development and their relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what you'll probably say, I wish I had been more invested should have gotten them to church more consistently. I should have made youth group a priority. You're preaching good today. All right, worship team, go ahead and get in place. Conversations about God make church a non-negotiable. Number three, show your family, show your children, show everybody in your house that seeking and serving God is fun. Show them that. Now, what's not fun is you being lukewarm trying to sell them on it being fun. Man, I come in, these things just flowing out of me right now. I didn't plan on that one. You being lukewarm trying to tell them it's fun to serve the Lord while you have a form of godliness and deny his power you're going to confuse your family. You're going to confuse your children. You're going to confuse the, the, the teenagers in your house. But if you truly get on fire for God and you get a holy addiction for his presence and you start casting out devils for fun and your hobby is prayer, some of you men, I, I, I'm just going to speak to the men and we may have a service before this series is over where we, we pray specifically for the men because I, I don't want to do it in a way that you feel guilty, but I do need some of the men to get up off your behinds and lead your house. I need you to lead it. I need the women to clap right there. I know some of you are like, I want to lead my house. Well, you're out of order. The man is supposed to lead it. And if he leads it in a way that honors God, guess what, women? You'll have no problem following. You'll have no problem following. You'll be 100%. That's why we follow Jesus. He gave his life for us. He showed us what leadership looks like. He's easy to follow. If your husband falls in love with Jesus, submits his life to the lordship of Jesus, and he stands up in the anointing God as the priest of that house, and he begins to lead, you'll have no problem following him wherever God has called you to go. That's the biblical order. But I need some of the men to grab a hold of it and quit depending on your spouse, on your wife, to lead your family when God has anointed you to lead it. But because you're lukewarm, because you're distracted, because you're interested in things that do not matter, they have nothing to follow. God help us that we give our family something to follow. Well, pastor, are you, do you get it right all the time? I don't, but when I don't, I tell them I didn't get it right. 
It's important, men, to lead your house, but when you miss it, you need to own up that you missed it. Repent. Sometimes it's not enough to say, God, I'm sorry. You need to tell your children I'm sorry. I handled that wrong. I I didn't say that right. I made a mistake here. It's okay. That doesn't mean you're not the leader. It makes you a better leader when you can own it. They'll be more apt to follow you. I love what Joshua said in Joshua 24 and 15. I already quoted it earlier. He said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I think that's a good place to stand to our feet and give God a praise. Come on, put your hands together. As for me and my house, We've made up our mind. We're going to serve the Lord. I love how he says, choose you this day. Are you going to be a Christian home? Are you going to be Christian in name only, blending in like culture, or are you going to be a Christ-centered home? And you make the choice this day. Some of you, the choice is today. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall or will be filled. One of the things I'm praying for is that revival would begin to burn in individual hearts, that individuals be set on fire for Jesus, but that that be translated over to families on fire for Jesus. And that that spill out to Bethesda Church on fire for Jesus. That it spill out from here into our region. And I'm telling you, I've been sensing the Holy Spirit has been cleaning some things out for over a year. He has been doing a work, and for a while, I didn't understand. I thought it was the devil. And I had to come to grips with it ain't the devil. God's saying, I'm cleaning out what you don't need. I'm cleaning out what's not going with you. And I look across this room and I even sense from the presence of the Holy Spirit that God has been preparing us all these years for this moment. I believe there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit about to hit this place like we've never experienced. I believe that revival is coming. Hearts are going to be turned. Sick bodies, we already we saw it all 2022. Sick bodies are going to be healed. It's going to be so normal. It's going to be so normal. Uh, demons are going to flee. And I, I just I told the prayer team this morning, I'm just going to warn y'all, when demons get driven out, a lot of times there's loud, violent screams attached to it. I need you to be cool. And not say this is weird. It ain't weird. In Mark chapter 1, one of the first things Jesus did, I'm helping somebody right now, he showed up at church. And the indication is this guy had been going to church. Jesus got there. What happened? He manifested a demon. Are you telling me I can go to church all these years and have a demon? I am telling you. You can go to church all these years and have a demon. And Jesus casted the devil out of the man, and his ministry started from that point. 
I'm telling you, I refuse to be the church that Mark 16 says, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall speak with new tongues. And that's where we stop. In my name, they shall speak with new tongues and drive out demons. It's in the same line, y'all. How many are ready to do what Jesus did, what he's calling us to do? We need an addiction to the presence of God, more so than the distractions of this world. If you're near your spouse or your family, I want you to, to link up with them. I want, I want to pray over you before I do a salvation call. But if you're near your spouse, I want you to join hands with them. Just get with them, get close to them. If you've got your kids with you, then, you know, that's awesome just to connect and, and say, you know what, our family, we're going to be Christ-centered. We're going to be Christ-centered. Listen to me. Some of you are going to try to ignore what's happening right now because you have the mindset of, he's right, I'm lukewarm, I need to move forward, I, I need to fall in love with Jesus. And, and you know what we tell ourselves? I've been guilty. I'll do it, you know, later. I'll, I'll do it, you know, when this part's over. You know, we, how many of we project things down the road? I'll, I'll turn it around then. But I'm telling you, God's doing something very significant in this church. Watch this, and this is not gonna go away. If you sins, I need to get on fire for Jesus. I don't need to be lukewarm. I want my family to be Christ-centered. I believe even if you don't choose this day, you're going to wake up tomorrow and the Holy Spirit's going to be there again saying, it's time. If you don't do it on Monday, you're going to wake up Tuesday and the Holy Spirit's going to be there saying, hey, it's time. You might as well go ahead and choose this day whom you're going to serve and go after him with all your heart and quit punting it down the road to a date. Come on, quit punting it down the road. Go ahead and say, it's time for my family, my home, to be Christ-centered, to be filled with the presence of God. I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I just speak over this amazing congregation. God, people that are here, God, to serve you, to love you, to experience you. God, I pray for marriages right now, God, that as husbands and wives prioritize your presence above everything else. God, I pray that their homes be filled with your presence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you anoint marriages, God, that you bring them together. We know there's power in unity. God, I speak, God, over children right now, God, that our sons and daughters will prophesy. Not in the future. They're going to do it now, Lord. Lord, we believe that you want them to do it now, to operate in the things of the kingdom, God. We are committing to seeking you first, God. We know if we seek you first, everything else will take care of itself. And I speak blessing and life over the people of God, over individuals, over families, over children, that this is a year of revival. This is a year of healing. This is a year of deliverance. God, it's a year where we go all in, where we choose this day whom we're going to serve. And God, we speak revival not just over our congregation. We speak it over our region. God, I pray for revival not only in Bethesda Church, but every church in our region. I pray you experience a move of the Holy Spirit that you would cause people's hearts to be turned towards you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, no one look around for the next couple of minutes, but if you're in this room, those of you watching online, you can let one of the moderators know, but if you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I, I, I know I need to repent. This, this is 
I need to repent. I need to change some things. I need to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus in my life. I don't want just a get out of hell, you know, card, but I know I need to repent make some things right. I need to follow Jesus with my life. If that is you, I'm not going to prolong the moment, but if, you, if that is you, I want you to just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, I need to repent. I need to prioritize Jesus. Come on, hold it up long enough for, for someone to see you. If you're raising your hand, one over here, God bless you. God bless you. Come on, just raise that hand. I see that hand over here. God bless you. Y'all see that hand, Compass Directors, thank you. Anyone else? Come on, this is your moment. The Holy Spirit's about to fill homes. Come on, your appetite for the world, the things that you keep doing and doing and doing, and it's not satisfying. Only His presence is going to satisfy. Only His presence is going to bring fulfillment into your home. I'm telling you, the job won't do it. The raise won't do it. The bonus won't do it. The career won't do it. It's His presence that satisfies. It's His presence that brings fulfillment. Anyone else that wants to be a part of this, this prayer right now? Anyone else? I want us to pray together out loud, everybody, that you can hear it with your own ears. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me for all my sins. I repent of those sins. I choose to follow you. I acknowledge your Lordship over my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a praise for those individuals today. Let's give God a praise. Oh, you can do better than that. Give God a real praise today. Thank you, Jim. Prayer team and staff, go ahead and get in place. We're going to open up these altars. Listen, listen, you can come and receive prayer. But listen, if you just say, you know what, me and my family, we just want to seek God together in this moment. I, we got to get used to responding to altar calls again. It, the, one of the worst things that happened with COVID was the, that, that we stopped praying for people. And it's like we've been working since then to get the altar normal. Let me just submit to you, we're going to touch and agree. We're going to lay hands on people. Bethesda's going to be a place where people can receive prayer. I'm tired of social distancing. I'm tired of worrying about all the stuff. We're going to pray for people. And so we want it to become normal. And so as the worship team comes, you guys go ahead. If you need prayer, come and get it. If you just want to come and seek God, come and seek God. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.